Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I've been busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's. <laughs> I got to work on that transition. No, no, oh, that transition. Seamless? That's it's an seamless. intro. That's perfect. <laughs> like hearing a songbird at my window uh, finish up a tune. I've been busy thinking about boys. Welcome to Let's Hear It for the Boys. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be talking about The Boys Season 3, Episode 2, The Only Man in the Sky. So if you haven't watched it on Prime Video yet, go check it out. We're going to spoil the heck out of it. But the big broad strokes of this episode here is Butcher finally takes V24 in this episode. Finally, after one episode. It hasn't been that long. I can't believe he finally got to it. Oh, my God. It's been so long. And murders gunpowder, but not before he gets a little bit of information about Soldier Boy and what's going on there in his quest to find some sort of weapon to take down Homelander. Meanwhile, Homelander goes all men's rights activist by the end of the episode, losing it at his birthday celebration after the death of Stormfront and uh, makes things difficult for everybody. Meanwhile, other things are going on with Frenchie and Kamiko. They visit Voigtland. Voigtland? Voigtland. 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 There you go. Huey uh, maybe adopts a child. Uh, Accidentally. It can happen. Have a couple cocktails. Whoops. I'm a father. Uh, Yeah. It happens. It happens. And Mother's Milk is maybe going to head back to the boys as well, bring the band back together. So, again, broad overview here. Uh, I just want to say up front, though, just in a general review sense, I feel like I wasn't necessarily iffy about the first episode. I liked the first episode, but I think my criticism was it felt like it was just continuing from season two. This, to me, felt like the episode that really kicked things off. You know, did you have the same feeling? I thought this was this is one of the best episodes of the show so far of just television in general I've watched lately. I I love this episode. It's mm-hmm. operating on so many levels. Um, it's so topical. I, it's amazing how they do it. They find a way to cover things with that extra step, like Homelander's uh, turn into men's rights and sort of he's feeling like like he's canceled and so he rejects it. And people are doing that now. People Mm -hmm. are doing that in our world currently, but this show was written a year ago. It's just amazing how prescient they are. And then it was so funny. There's so many great visual jokes in this episode and the turnarounds, um, the little moments, uh, just to hit a couple of them. When um, Todd, um, Mother's Milk's ex's new husband, is like leaning into Homelander as he's Mm -hmm. doing the men's rights turn at the end. Amazing moment. You just see it happening they don't make a big show of it like look this works this is a real danger you just see it and you're like it's so good um i thought that was excellent all the characters slowly sliding down the field and uh, to finish my monologue the fact that um that butcher takes the um the 24 
in this episode, they didn't hold it for the whole season. Like it felt like they might uh, a, a less a, a worse show would have held it. And then it was like, look, I took it. And he just does it here. We get it. It's hard hitting. It's aggressive. And we worry for Butcher, I think, in mm-hmm. that yeah, I, I think the big thing that we talked about in the last episode, sort of the key moment, and granted we're only two episodes in, but it feels like the key moment for the season is Butcher and Homelander sitting down and saying, you know what, let's go scorched earth. And that's kind of exactly what happens here. Like Butcher, in a sense, betrays everything he believes in by taking the V24. Granted, he kills gunpowder, but even he seems sort of terrified about what's going on with him in that moment. The heat rays shooting out of his eyes, slicing the top of his head. It's gross in a perfectly boy's way, but it hurts him. You can feel it's physically painful as it's happening to him. And like you said, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Homelander finding this new dangerous place to be where we talked about a lot the last episode. He's been effectively neutered by that blackmail tape of what he did back on the airline flight in season one. He has been stifled the entire time. This explosion is coming and we expect it to be a physical explosion like it is with Busher, but it's a mental explosion instead. He comes out in the middle of the birthday party, gives the speech like you're talking about. That Todd moment is so great. And this is such a great pointed place for Homelander to be and for the show to be playing on all of these radio shows and Joe Rogan experience type things where they're like, men are really being pushed out in society. Side note, we're not. We're fine. We're doing just okay. (laughs) Uh, But to have Homelander occupy that space is such a smart place to put the show. Well, and I agree completely. And the way they did it where when he first, Starlight's up there um, sort of uh, pressing him to donate money to her charity. Um, and this is after he gets heckled. Someone yells, your Nazi died. And Starlight is like, ooh, burn. That's that's going to – I'm sure you're feeling that. But she takes the reins and is sort of like, here, this will – I'll bring it back to this thing that we had agreed we're going to do here. And then you see him go off the rails. And for a second, you're like, oh, man, he fucked up. <laughs> and then they turn it in literally less than a minute – And you're like, wait, this is his move. This is a power play and it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's a level of writing that is because it's not even in dialogue. It's the action is happening and we're seeing it turn. It's the acting. It's everything coming together. It's what is so hard to do in TV is have it all operating on full like all cylinders. And this show does it. I also think uh, we're kind of talking around this a little bit, but this pairs really nicely with the premiere just as almost a two hour thing where we get in that moment that you're talking about starlight starts repeating the talking points about, Oh, he's just a regular guy like everybody else. She's stumbling over it a little bit. And that's, I don't even think he sees that as an opportunity. Like this is Homelander operating on instinct and just jumping in there and being like, I've had enough. Stan Edgar heckled me from the back here and shut me down because I think it's 76% of the people want to tune in for Starlight. This guy says you're not – does he say your Nazi bitch died or something like that? Uh, I think it was just your Nazi died is what I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. I just don't like Nazis. I apologize. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry for insulting Nazis. Alex, you're having sort of a Homelander moment here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So anyway, he gets heckled twice and that sort of parallels that there. And he we've already seen that he is dead inside in his eyes from saying the same line over and over again. So like you said, this is finally the time it works. This also plays nicely on. 
Todd dressing up as Homelander at yeah. his stepdaughter. I think they're married, right? Mother Milk. Uh, I think Todd and Mother Mother's Milk's ex-wife are married now, or are they just dating? I think they feel married to me, but I mean, okay. I, whatever yeah, wasn't it is. It, I, I was invited to the wedding, but I didn't oh, intend because okay. I felt, I was like, I'm sort of with Mother's Milk. I didn't want to yeah, like be that. You're guy. on his side. I get it. A hundred percent. Yes. So regardless Having the move of Todd very suddenly dressing up as Homelander and then being like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. This is how I feel. Down yeah. to the casting of, and I say this as a very nebbishy guy myself, a very nebbishy actor there, uh, I think it really works, like the whole yeah. thing. And uh, it's it's it gives them fertile ground to play with, not just with the men's rights stuff from podcasts and maybe Homelander gets a radio show in a future episode or something like that. But also you got this Cameron Coleman show, which is a de facto Fox news, having him, him go in there and them talk about maybe he's canceled for his speech or something like there's a lot of different things they can play with here that are very prescient. Yeah. And this is something that we in our world right now are grappling with. We don't know how to deal with these situations um, just from um, like culture, like entertainment culture standpoint, when like uh, someone like Louis C.K. or any sort of celebrity like uh, does something and everyone's like, well, you're canceled. But then other people are like, I still like it. Like it's it's a confusing thing for a lot of people. Makes total sense. And the fact that this show is running at it is uh, it just takes such confidence and it puts you in a place where like, I'm like, I have to see this next episode because yeah. I'm like, I'm interested in this just on a basic life level. <laughs> I'm like, well, how do people deal with this? Is this, I seen Todd react that way. I'm like, I'm not that person, but people do lean into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I gotta see. <laughs> and the fact that we get the superhero metaphor on top of it, it's just so exciting. This show is very exciting at all times. It's kind of incredible, too. I was thinking about it a little bit watching this episode that they've gotten. We talk about they do such a good job with the media commentary here, but they've gotten so much mileage out of these superheroes that don't ever do superhero stuff, you know, and it's not it's not the tick way of like they're just kind of hanging out and doing their thing, which there's certainly a place for that. This it feels like maybe they're doing that off screen, but they never do. So it's also this world of these people idolize superheroes like celebrities, but all they're doing is celebrity stuff. They're celebrity for celebrity sake. And that's it. Well, I think the great observation this show does is like, they're not going to go on patrol. Like that's not something that people in reality, a comic book thing that is fake. If you had superpowers, you would go do the stuff that you had planned and that you would just occasionally uh, blow something up with your eyes like it's yeah. not and I think that's such a smart that brings it to a much more real place mm-hmm. even though the violence is crazy heightened the way we see it is cartoonish um, in a couple of things in this episode um, so it like it it, it is it's making it more real and also heightening it out of reality at the same time so it it keeps us off balance a lot um, Uh, I actually want to swerve into another thing that I think ties into what we're talking about here nicely, which is A-Train's plot line in the episode. He's grappling with the fact that he had a heart attack, I think, last season. Um, Yeah, he can't use his powers. Exactly. He can't run. So uh, Homelander is calling him flabby. He's calling him fat. He's being absolutely horrible about it. And the thing that he thinks he needs is a rebrand. And I thought this was... Again, so smart, and 
I took it as a comic book fan as a subtle commentary on the way the comic books usually deal with African-American characters, where they do give them this rebrand in the middle of the episode. He pitches to Ashley and her new assistant, Ashley, which also so funny. So good. So anybody who, nothing against PR people, but anybody who's dealt with PR knows that it's like you're dealing with 15 Jennifers or 12 Ashleys or something like that. It just happens. But, <laughs> but so they're pitching to Ashley and Ashley, Seth and A-Trade. And the two things they pitch are, one, he's going to co- get a costume redesign. Uh, two, they're going to do an A-Trade to Africa docuseries where he runs around Africa. And the third thing is a video game called The Middle Passage where he's fighting on slave ships. And that's the thing that really breaks Ashley number one in a hilarious yeah. way. But to my mind, this, like I was saying earlier... This is the sort of thing that we talk about all the time with comic books. And mind you, I think they've gotten much smarter and better about them in the modern era. But back in the day, it would be like, I am exactly this. I am a black character and I'm going to Africa. Well, went to Africa. There we go. Because it's a bunch of white writers usually who are doing that. So I thought this was perfect. It was great. And even though it wasn't really connected to the main story, like still moving his character forward while also having this great cultural commentary, it just feels like they're doing so much at once all the time while being super funny. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, should we jump back to the beginning of the episode and talk through uh, a couple things? Because there's this great, the deep, uh, like Lifetime TV trailer. So was that was that Billy Zane at the beginning as Alistair Adana? Oh, I couldn't I, – I was like, that's got to be some stunt casting, but I didn't know. Yeah, was. I wasn't 100% sure, and I forgot to check the credits, but I think that was Billy Zane. That certainly looked like him. Great. But, Great call. But, yeah, they have this uh, TV movie uh, based on Deeper, his book. The title of it is Not Without My Dolphin, which is a – Just. Perfect. Well, and that, going off the fame, one of the more famous Lifetime movies, Not Without My Daughter. Yes. Uh, oh, and, Okay. You see, great, uh-huh. uh, super funny. Um, just love that they kick off with stuff like this. They did this a lot last season, and it is just a great way to like re-submerge us into the boys' world and get some great jokes while also being like, this is exactly spot on. It happens in the real world all the time. I mean, at this point, I hope they do this every episode. I hope they open with some sort of trailer type thing with ridiculous stunt casting. That would be very fun. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and then shouts, we get Homelander's birthday celebration uh, listed up. We got Emerald Lagasse. We got Rascal Flats. And we got the cast of Riverdale. Yes. Uh, Shout out to the by. cast of Riverdale. One of my favorite uh, Easter egg, like tossed off lines midway through the episode is when Starlight is reading off her introduction. And there's some line before we bring out Dame Judy Dench. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just the idea that they're doing this and then Judy Jet, what is she doing there? What What is yeah. going on at this point? She's a huge fan. She's yeah. a huge fan of uh, Homelander. I mean, that's why I love they just do those little touches. I and hope then, she like, comes in later in the season and we have that. She's like, I love you, Homelander. You're really yeah. speaking truth to power. <laughs> she plays, uh, has a major role in the next Homelander movie. <laughs> uh, just hitting on some of the other jokes throughout. We get um, when um, Frenchie and Kamiko are at Vaughtland. We get um, Woke Walk, uh, BLM, BLTs. Uh, just a lot of great sign signage jokes throughout here. And this uh, which, is where Brave Maves 
inclusive Playland is as well, right? They had a quick yeah. shot of that sign. Very fun. I love the whole, if we want to talk about that for a moment, the whole Vaughtland sequence I thought was great. You know, they weren't particularly subtle with what was going on with Kamiko, but I think she did a nice job of playing it anyway. This idea of seeing these two kids, a brother and a sister, are having a great time. She ruins their day by smattering them with gore, and that reminds her of everything that went on with her and her brother and how they never had a childhood. Um, just also the Frenchy Kamiko relationship is so sweet and so nice, and I love that they've hit this place now where they understand each other, like both in terms of the language, but also in terms of emotionally the moment when she asks about going on the roller coaster and he says, after the job is done and she gives a little smile, just thought it was real good. I'm liking it. Yeah. There, and you know, we, Watching the first two seasons, it always felt like, oh, is this a romance? What's happening here? And they've sort of settled in like, no, people can be sort of soulmates, be like intensely connected in their lives without having to kiss. Mm -hmm. And um, I I thought that's such a strong, surprising choice. Well, overall, again, I mentioned this with the last episode, but this episode as well really drives home to me that I feel like we've looped to where these characters are in the boys comic book. In a very smart way, I've never felt like this show is a boy's origin story. You know, I don't think Eric Kripke or anybody else has talked about, yep, we're eventually going to get to the comic book origins. But I think naturally, organically, they have gotten to that place. Uh, Last episode, definitely Butcher felt that way. Homelander is feeling that way now. Um, I don't think uh, Jack Blade plays Huey differently, you know, and that's fine. And I actually really like Jack mm -hmm. Wade's Huey. He's so, like, you're always pulling for him, even when you're like, dude, no. (laughs) And I feel like in the the comics, you look down on the Huey a little bit, and you're like, you idiot. You're just sort of, he's a little bit, you're not riding with him as much because he messes up in different ways. Mm -hmm. But Jack Wade, you're like, oh, man, dude, don't do that. And, like, it's really fun. Uh, but yeah, just to wrap it up, I was uh, what I was saying about Frenchie and Kamiko. I think it's the same thing with that relationship. It's reached this place that, if I remember correctly, they start at in the boys' comic book, and they're finally there, and it's a nice place to be. Yeah. Uh, to keep talking about the Vaultland thing, though, we get to meet Crimson Countess here, I believe, played by Lori Holden. Very fun, very sad show that she's doing with Soldier Boy Ahoy and the yeah. Countess. Tea that happens afterwards is that what they call it uh yeah and i mean it, you when you go to like a disney world type place to have a celebrity do like in once an hour show like that oh. woof bummer yeah. um so sorry for her life that's a bummer she also has the hilarious chipstone cry song that she plays yeah. off that also i think plays over the credits um very fun there Really enjoyed that. And gross. They blow up a Homelander big head guy, and you just see his head kind of sitting out of the big head. Horrible, but kind of awesome visual. Yep. They find a way to sneak in the horrifying violence and uh, superhero action in the middle of heartfelt uh, storylines and great jokes. Why don't we move on and talk about the Huey stuff since we touched on that. So over the course of the episode, Huey is dealing with the revelation that happened at the end of the last episode that Victoria Newman is a super self. Not only that, she is the head popper from last season. He's predictably completely freaking out about it. And Annie slash Starlight 
manages to talk him down a little bit, but he goes forward anyway and finds a orphanage for kids' soups, gets information about Victoria Newman, finds out that she was adopted by Stan Edgar, and by the so end of the information, uh, by the end of the episode, shares that information with Annie. I really liked how this storyline went as well, to the point that you were making earlier, that this is Huey screwing up, but also learning from his mistakes from previous seasons, actually having some skills here, and the fact that he doesn't listen to Addie, but she understands this is more important than yeah. any fight that we're going to have about not listening to each other, I thought was a great move. Well, and at the end of last episode, it was sort of like Huey and Starlight are not getting along. And what I love about this episode is they are at the top of this episode, you know, like a real relationship where you have a disagreement or a fight, but then you're not you're not like, all right, now we need to have a romantic re- repair job on our relationship. No, the next day starts and you sort of, get back into it. And especially when they're doing this, like dealing with a very intense world around them. I love that Huey instantly shares everything with, with Annie at the top of the episode. And then, uh, but he's still jealous. He still has these, uh, these feelings about supersonic. He smashes a glass. So he's juggling all this, but in this episode, Annie has learned and she's like, dude, you're still thinking about that. He sucks. Have you heard him sing? I don't worry about that. like, and then she <laughs> saves his ass with Victoria Newman when he's like uh, just mumble mouth, and she comes in and saves it, and he locks back in with her, and then you know the relationship is strong. Yeah, I thought this whole storyline, like I said, was great. I also thought some of the moments in the orphanage were very funny. Having the lady who was running it come in with her leg broken yeah. was just, you know, that she's constantly getting limbs broken by these superhero kids. Her sense of relief when she finds out that one of them was going to be adopted and taken away, also very funny. I'm curious to see if they're actually going to follow up on this and have some kid show up at their doorstep or something like that. But Overall, very fun, very funny storyline. Uh, you mentioned the supersonic thing, though. We get to see him do a very boy bad song again with License to Drive, which has some very sketchy lyrics that he calls out. Yeah. How are you feeling about him as a character? Um, I mean, it's hard to tell what his point is going to end up being. Um, we have a scene here where he interacts with Homelander in a way where he does feel like he could be like almost a sidekick to Homelander and maybe that mm. will be something. But as of now, it feels like he's a little bit annoying to Huey. Maybe that will be, Huey will have to confront him. Maybe he's like a mini boss for Huey to face. He may also just be like comic relief going forward. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. Yeah. It, the way the actor is playing it, it seems straightforward. The, the place that he, lives in on the show, to your point, feels like it could be somebody who betrays Eddie. He's secretly evil, like the rest of the soups. That turns out he has some fucked up shit in his background that doesn't come out until he ends up on the seven or something like that. But the way the actor is playing it is very earnest and straightforward. And so it does become this ally for Starlight, it feels like, but also a foil for Huey, um, but again, not knowing the span of the season, it's hard to tell where he's going to go there, how important he's going to be. Though right now, he seems pretty important. They're spending a lot of time on him. Yeah, we're definitely seeing him um, and seeing him sing. Oh, just a, a fun little twist. Well, before we move off of Starlight, I really want to shout out the way Aaron Moriarty plays mm-hmm. the scene at the end um, that we talked about with Homelander. And you can see her sort of 
as an actor, it's hard to do multiple things at the same time because your lines are your lines. And then for her to be able to play both the onstage person, you know, the outward presence of Starlight that she's created and putting out her sort of uh, her charity and all that, while at the same time sort of subtly shitting on um, Homelander because he sucks and she knows he sucks. While at the same time, keeping the sort of uh, show together, like taking care of him a little bit, it was just a complicated situation. I thought she played it really well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Why don't we jump back to the butcher stuff since we only touched on it, but there's a lot more going on there. I did want to give a shout out in particular to the MIDI storyline going on with Ryan here, Homelander's son, which was so good and so sad. At the beginning of the episode, Butcher is having this nightmare about the V-24. He's dreaming of Homelander, talking to him through the TV. He wakes up, Ryan is calling, and he snaps at him. And, you know, this kid actor, so good. Like, the instant hurt that you see on his face when Butcher snaps at him, so sad. And it crests in the end. Butcher ends up watching the video that he made for him. We had set Uh, up last season that he made these stop motion Lego things uh, of like uh, the blind spot and other (laughs) totally inappropriate blind side. side, That's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, Kid movies with his mom. But the fact that they use that without putting a hat on it, like pointing it out and it's her last phone call, her last phone message to him. Got me right. It was, so upsetting and like it it was just such a well done emotional like mini arc for for butcher and ryan and at the same time that emotional moment is what gets butcher to open up to huey which gets huey to open up to butcher about like getting the boys back together like it's just such a little like uh turning the knobs all at once um and making these characters pop in a way and move quickly that is that it's just so satisfying to watch. I'm yeah. gushing over this episode, but I just think it's that good. <laughs> well, let's talk about the gunpowder stuff as well, because then Butcher heads to a gun convention. Gunpowder is there giving a speech. Uh, I think the words in the back, the name of the speech is Get Triggered, which we've already kind of touched on, but the same sort of men's rights, getting canceled, all of that dumb language that makes no sense. and is 100% not true, but he has a big fight with Butcher in the parking lot that Butcher loses. That's what causes him to use the V-24 and ultimately uh, get the information out of him and then kind of accidentally kill Gunpowder at the end of the day. What did you think about all of this? Um, I thought it was seeing Butcher lose in that way, but still sort of Butcher his way out of it, I thought was really cool. And having that be like between his loss here and not figuring out what's how he can use Gunpowder – the Huey revelation and using those two events, pushing him to taking the V24 and then him not being in control. Butcher's whole thing is he's in control of every situation, no matter how powerful the person he's facing against is Homelander. And he somehow is able to be like, I can fight him even though he's invincible and I am very vincible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he, he makes this turn here and it's brutal and he's out of control, which is the most unbutcher thing to do yeah to be. i thought this was great i loved uh, i again i think just like in a in a parody parody is the wrong satire way yeah. the way that they set up the gun convention was really smart just people holding babies in the background it's so uncomfortable and so awful to see but obviously yeah. these things exist and this is how they are and if you and had a character like gunpowder of course he would be there 
and this show shows us the real world in the, in a way, and it seems heightened, but it's also not like the heightened moment of him walk uh, butcher walking in and then being getting busted by the metal detector for having a gun, and they just take it out and like nice piece, go right ahead, and that's how we open up into the gun show. I thought it was great. Yeah, two tickets to the gun show. That's what I always say. You do always say that. Yeah, there you go. Sick flex. Yes. Last thing we should probably talk about is Victoria Newman. I I just wanted to touch on her relationship with Stan Edgar because I continue to be surprised how they are using Giancarlo Esposito this season. Like I talked about the last episode, I think a lot of that is because we kind of know him as Gus Fring or these all-powerful characters. So seeing him soften in some way with Victoria Newman, with her daughter, reading... Alexander and the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. You're uh, that's based on you, right? That is. I always thought it was when I was growing up. <laughs> you thought everyone had one for them? <laughs> and I Justin. was like, I am having a horrible, no good, terrible, very bad day. Uh, what do you think about this turn for Stan Edgar and Giancarlo Esposito in particular? Well, it's interesting, especially in the context um, of the previous episode where it felt like um, Stan was like, I hate this. I'm sick of superhero soups. I don't want to deal with them anymore. And then come to find out he actually is the father, essentially, of the soup who is having the most power and secretly having a heavy influence on the world. So it makes me wonder, does he know what's happening? Is that more of his master play here? Is he a big bad? Or is he someone who's like, I'm sick of soups. I'm just going to go hang out with my daughter. Oh, she's doing all this. Okay, that's a news to me. Um, I mean, he knows obviously knows of her, her power set. So yeah. I would think he will know of it. I don't know if he's in control of her, if they're working together, or if he's just, you know, like, ah, stop popping people's heads. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Definitely an interesting thing to follow and a big swerve. Any other moments from the episode well, you want to call out? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, a couple. In front, just on Victoria Newman, I feel like at the end of last season, it was like, whoa, she's the big bad. She's evil. And in this episode, you get and last episode, you get her being like uh, she's out of control of herself. You get her like being vulnerable to Stan and just like being like, oh, I can't have this come back into my life. Like. Super undercutting her status as a like a Thanos type supervillain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really cool and adds more nuance to everything. Yeah, I am. I will say shipping Newman and Huey a lot less this episode than I was the last episode. The oh, because she looks like she's going to murder him? Uh, slightly, <laughs> just a little bit. But Claudia yeah. Dumid, who plays the role, is so good. She was on Timeless before this. It was great, played a totally different character there. But uh, she's great. I think, like like you're saying, you get a lot of sympathy for these characters. Even, to jump over to one other thing, even Stormfront in uh, Homelander storyline, like we talked about the last episode, her totally mutilated, lying on the bed, yeah. despondent, crying. She deserves to die, but yeah. she you still feel bad for her the entire time. Yeah. And then she dies, which pushes Homelander. And we get this super dark scene with Homelander on the roof and this girl. Oh, God. And where he finds out that Homelander died and Stormfront died. Or sorry, Stormfront died, and um, he presses this girl who who jumps off of the building. I was like, this is dark. This is very dark for even this show. Yeah. Um, And it happened in the middle of the episode. I think he probably throws her. Like, it's ambiguous. It's left up to the viewer, but... 
I don't know. Either way, his eyes pop like he's good, threatening her to to do it. Um, but either way, so and yeah, that's where you see him crack internally, I think, and then we see it um, publicly later on, which I thought was um, a terrifying progression. And then just one on the storm front, we get the reveal of the storm chasers, mm-hmm. who are the, the supporters of Stormfront after she dies, and they're marching with tiki torches, which I was like, just a nice little. Ting of reality yeah. there as well. Yeah, shout outs to Charleston there. Uh, and I wonder if that is going to come back later on in the season as well, now that she is dead or as dead as anybody can be on the show. It's always possible that they faked it and she's going to come back later or something like that. But I do think she's I think probably she's dead. dead. They and may I think, look at her as a martyr, though, is I guess what I was going to Well, at. and I think that I think it's going to unite the Storm Chasers and what um, Homelander does, does at the end of this episode. I feel like that's going to become a group, almost like a constituency for mm. Homelander. And he will go into a, a much darker place um, here uh, going forward in the season. Just a couple other things. We didn't really talk about Mother's Milk. Um, his oh, right. storyline. His storyline's moving a little more slowly, I think. Um, but I like that we get to see him, of all the characters who are all, like, either hard-charging or fucking up in very obvious ways, he sort of has is struggling with some anxiety about, like, the choices in his life. He feels a little frozen, both in his relationship with his um, ex and daughter, and then the, his dad's legacy of being obsessed with um, Soldier Boy and him also doing that. And you see almost like some OCD tendencies here. Mm-hmm. So I like that he's sort of released by his ex back into the boys. Um, and I bet we're going to get to see him making some moves uh, next It episode. is a really interesting plot move. And I think it's necessary for the show to get the boys back together, to have the team all in one place. But the way he plays that scene when he's telling her his hand shaking, it's clearly an yeah. addiction metaphor. And the fact yeah. that she's like, yeah, get back on the cocaine is essentially what she's telling him is yeah. a wild, probably terrible turn. In, if you think about it in a real world perspective, but it's clearly what he needs because he just can't get this out of his system. So yeah. I don't know. It definitely sends him on a potentially destructive path going forward, but maybe it's the best path for him at the same time. I don't know. Well, and I think between that and what Butcher does with the V24, I think addiction may be um, sort of a theme that we're going to hit on a bunch this season uh, because I don't think this will be the last or even close to the last time we see Butcher juiced up on some V24. <laughs> Could you imagine he uses it? He's like, well, that was nice. Oof, that felt good. The but, ha, no more of that for me. Yeah. Too dangerous. Um, just a couple of lines to shout out. Oh, we we also have the reveal from Gunpowder that Grace Mallory oh, um, right. knows I'm forgetting everything. I'm so some shit. No, it's totally cool. So like that's what I think also sets Butcher off um, uh, into his rage is the reveal that someone who is very close to him knows what happened to so probably knows what happened to Soldier Boy. Yeah, assuming that there is a weapon that took down Soldier Boy and that weapon could take down Homelander, the fact that Mallory has known about that the entire time yeah. is uh, not going to send Butcher on a good path either. No. Um definitely not. And just to shout out two sort of um uh, lines that I thought were funny or uh, well done. Uh, Homelander is talking to Starlight and Supersonic and says, come drunk on your treats of picante. 
just a packed in line of uh, horrifying um, insults and uh, racism. And then um, uh, her, him immediately talking to Starlight. Um, JFK got rimmed out by Marilyn. Uh, and then you see Starlight take power immediately on the heels of that line, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Great stuff. Great episode. Before we wrap up here, who was best boy, though? Who was the best boy in the episode, Justin? Tough. An episode where a lot of people um, are turning a corner and most of them not in a great direction. Um, I'm going to give it up, though, for Starlight. I really liked the um, the Huey Starlight relationship in this episode um, and the way it feels very real, very supportive. And then I already shouted out Aaron Moriarty for the way she played like nine things at once at the end, which was dope. Yeah, I'm going to throw it out to Kamiko in this episode, maybe. Whoa! I don't know. Wow. I really liked what she was doing here. Really like her plot line. I know it's a smaller part, but I thought the Crimson Countess scene was very fun. And I'm really curious. I'm emotionally invested in where this storyline is going to go. It seems like there's going to be some big changes for her throughout the season. So we'll see what happens. If you yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about the boys. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show. Here at number four, the boys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> it's I like that. It's like, we're number four. We're <laughs> number four. Listen, I made some mistakes when we started no, this podcast. I, li- I like it. I think it's okay. a, I like that the four is in there. This is that funny the way you say it. It's like, we're proud of our work, but not like we don't. We're not saying <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not tops. We're not we're tops. Not tops. But we are tops. We are tops. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, the boys. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to listen back to our previous podcast. Figure out what we'll do at the end here. Every episode, uh, we would take V24 and just go crazy. (laughs) So that's what I'm about to do. I'm just doing cocaine over here. uh, Continue to have a no good, terrible, very bad day.